Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, January 20th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts, Beantown Athletics, the only union screen printer in Boston. Go to beantownathletics.com right now. That's beantownathletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Beantown Athletics is also home of the best skate shopping in New England. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There is plenty of parking out back and make sure you tell them I sent you. In fact, had someone text me the other day asking if the boys here at Beantown Athletics could create some type of logo that they wanted to use for a sticker to hand out to their union. And I told them, well, yeah, all you got to do is call Pete Needham, Tony King, call the boys at Beantown Athletics. They can come up with a custom design for you. Stickers, sweatshirts, t-shirts, you name it. And just because I say the only union screen printer, you don't need to be a union to get something done here at Beantown Athletics. Uh, You can be running any type of tournament. You have a little party, have a get-together. You want to get some t-shirts made up. That's funny. That's fun, creative. Make sure you call the boys here at Beantown Athletics. They can come up with a design for you that you will love. I guarantee it. They can make you t-shirts, hoodies, You want a koozie for your party? You know, a little koozie to put your drink in? They can make those as well. Hats, anything can get done right here at Beantown Athletics. So go to beantownathletics.com. And again, the phone number is 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. I am here in the Beantown Athletics studio. And uh, guess what I got going on today? I have ESPN back on my TV. Yesterday, we finally got the TVs in the studio working once again. We just didn't have, for some reason, we didn't have the correct cable package. And we never canceled the cable package. There was just an issue with the cable because they built a whole different part of the shop that they did over and put a little embroidery room in. And the cable wires, they had to cut those, and we finally uh, got the cable back up and going yesterday, but we didn't have the correct cable package, so it was kind of driving me nuts. And if you listen to yesterday's podcast, there there were a couple other things that were driving me nuts as well. And a a little update for you on that. There's really not—I shouldn't say there's an update, but we we do have some people, and and the movement here, free 363, free— 363, hashtag free 363. It's picking up some steam, gaining some momentum. I don't know if that's a good thing for us or a bad thing because if you're Red Bull Records and YouTube, you're getting some free publicity right now from all of us. So perhaps they don't respond and they continue to ignore us and they just sit back and say, well, these guys, the longer we ignore them, they're just going to keep continuing to promote Red Bull Records and some of the music that we have. I, 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 that doesn't make me happy. You know, I'm I'm not any happier with this situation today. I'm still upset. And if you don't know, you should go back and listen to yesterday's podcast where I went on a little rant 
and continue to crush Red Bull Records and YouTube for removing our street hockey video from the World Wide Web. Yes, they took it down off YouTube. Basically, Red Bull Records put in a copyright claim because we used a snippet of one of their songs in a video that we made no money off of ever and never looked to make any money off of. In fact, I look at it as if to the 40,000 plus people that viewed that movie, I look at it as if I promoted their music for free. And, um... It's down. It's off YouTube. I'm trying to work to get it back up. Uh, A lot of people behind the scenes are also helping out. So there will be more things to come, I'm sure. And and there will be more news and more updates. We just need to get somebody from Red Bull Records on the phone. That's all we really need to do. And I think that if I can stress to them that we didn't make any money off this film, perhaps they would let it go back up on YouTube. They have options. As somebody who files a copyright claim on YouTube... They have multiple options. It's not just, we need to shut this video down. It's not, you can do some other things. You can add a link when the song plays for people to download it. There's a way we can work this out. I just don't know if they're going to even give us the time of day to want to work it out. But I will say this, uh, I, I, I had a little fun with it last night, even though, don't get me wrong. I'm still extremely upset with the situation because as you heard on yesterday's podcast, when I went on a rant... And I really do advise you to go back and listen to that. Um, I, I am unhappy with the situation because of all the work and effort we put into it. But I will say this. One of the NHL players that's in the movie, Keith Yandel, uh, he, this is a quote from him. Direct quote. New York Rangers defenseman said, told me, quote, this is a sad day in sports history. End quote. He's right. It is. It was. Uh, every day that 363, the road to the Celtic three on three, Every day, our street hockey video is not available to the world to see is a sad day in sports history. And uh, we're trying to get that back up. I, I could use a couple tweets. And now Keith isn't, in, uh, Keith isn't on Twitter. Jimmy Hayes is on Twitter, though. I don't know how much he actually uses it or reads it. But I'm, I'm trying to get in his ear, too, and get him to tweet something out. And uh, Jack Eichel, the... NHL player who actually texted me and pointed out to me that this video was no longer available on the internet because he tried to show the Buffalo Sabres the video two days ago. You know, I would, I'm hoping that maybe he can tweet something out too. We'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can get. But I did throw out an Instagram. I had a little fun with this last night and threw up an Instagram picture. And uh, not to say that I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the situation, but I had to, I had to do something to to make some light of the situation, and I think I did that. You can follow me on Instagram at Danny Picard. The video I put up, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Phil Collins doesn't come after me with the song that I used. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Phil Collins. I I hope he I hope he doesn't come after me with a copyright claim and get my Instagram shut down. But you know that was. I had to, I had to come up with a way to, to make some people laugh about this, and even to make myself laugh. And I think that was at least one way. But I'll keep you updated on any news that we get to try to get this video back up on the world wide web for the people to see. Again, if we try to have a sequel, which isn't out of the question in the future, if we try to get a sequel, what's a sequel without the original film viewable? Right? If you can't see the original. Can there be a sequel?
we'll have to we'll have to test that one out. But uh, that's all I'm going to say about 363. I did my 363 rant on yesterday's podcast, so make sure you go get that. You can get every show at dannypicard.com. Also, subscribe on iTunes. And if you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can get this show on the Stitcher app. You can get them on multiple apps, but that's the one that I recommend, the Stitcher app, every show available to you for free. So it is a Wednesday, which means every Wednesday I preview the upcoming week in the National Football League and this weekend, Conference Championship weekend. There are only four teams left in the NFL playoffs, the final four, if you want to call it that. Now, I will say this. If you go back to the beginning of the season, the beginning of the regular season, I actually don't know how many weeks in we were. I want to say we were five or six weeks in, and I wrote a column for the Boston Metro, and I expressed the same sentiment on this show, on this podcast, and even on my radio show, and I think I even did something and said something on TV at the time. About four, five, six weeks into the NFL season, I wrote a column in the Boston Metro, and I write one every week. But what I wrote was, the four best teams in the NFL at that point in time, which I thought were the Patriots, the Broncos, the Cardinals, and the Green Bay Packers. That's what I told you. I said those would be the final four teams standing in the NFL playoffs when we get to conference championship weekend in late January. And I had people coming at me saying, no, it won't be those four teams. It's way too early to say that. Well, I got three of the four right. So I feel the need to to bring that up. I got the Cardinals right, obviously, the Patriots and the Broncos. The Packers I got wrong. But in fairness, you go back to the regular season four, five, six weeks in, Green Bay was one of the best teams in the league. Now, we saw the Green Bay Packers become a beatable club in the middle of the season, later on in the season, and they got eliminated last weekend in the divisional round by the Arizona Cardinals. The team I got wrong, I didn't have Carolina in it. You know, Carolina, even though they began the season undefeated to that point, and they finished with only one loss, and they got that loss late in the year, uh, the second time that they played Atlanta. I think it was the second time they had played them in in a three-week span. But you know, I needed to see at that point in time when I gave you my final four teams and I had put Green Bay in and I left Carolina out, my argument with Carolina was I needed to see more from them. And as the season went on, obviously you give them more and more credit when they started to answer, you know, they answered all the tough questions, right? They, they, they gave you everything that you needed to see from them to, to make you take them seriously, the first thing the Carolina did was go into Seattle and win during the regular season. And I told you that was the biggest thing to me. That's a tough thing to do. And once Carolina did that, I started taking them seriously. But at the time, and week again, I don't know exactly what week it was. I think it was week five or week six. Early in the season, I wrote a column that said, play the season out all you want. Here are the four teams that will be standing on conference championship weekend. I said the Patriots got that right. I said the Broncos got that right. I said the Cardinals got that right. But I said the Green Bay Packers got that wrong. I did not put Carolina into the mix. And here is Carolina. They are in the mix. And they are hosting the NFC championship against Arizona. Uh, This will be the second game of the day on Sunday. The 640 game. And these two teams did not play this year. 
And if you look at the spread right now, Arizona is a three-point underdog going into Carolina. That's about right. You know, these games where you get a team in Arizona that, that what they lose? Three games in the regular season, 13-3. and three. Uh, They're the two-seed in the NFC. They had a first-round bye with Carolina. You know, they didn't play Carolina yet. I think just the generic standard spread for this type of game, the two-seed versus the one-seed, on the the two seed on the road, you give them you give them a, you make them a three point dog, right? That that just seems to be the standard spread in this type of game. Now in the AFC, it'll be the first game of the day, right? This one will be at three oh five Eastern time, but it'll be one o'clock in the afternoon Mountain time in Denver. The Patriots going to Denver to take on the Broncos. The Broncos the one seed. The Patriots the two seed. Both teams had a first-round bye. So, really, you have the top two seeds in each conference in the Final Four, playing in conference championship weekend. The difference with the spreads is, in the NFC, the Cardinals, and it's about right. They're a three-point dog going on the road to Carolina. The two seed is the underdog to the one seed. In the AFC, the two seed Patriots going on the road to Denver. The two seed, the road team, is the favorite. The Patriots are a a three-and-a-half-point favorite in this game against the Broncos. The Broncos being the one seed, being the home team, they're the underdog. Uh, That's not the normal way this thing would play out. But again, I I, I still don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's a crazy spread. I think they got the spreads just about right. Now, I'll, I'll pick the games with the spread on Friday. As I do every Friday, I give you picks, picks. I give you every game with the spread here in the playoffs. Usually during the regular season, I'd give you five games in the playoffs. I'll pick every game, and there's only two this weekend, obviously. So I'll I'll pick with the spread on Friday. But just looking at these two games right now and previewing what we have this weekend, I'll begin with the NFC game because I have done a lot on the AFC already. I did that on Monday. Uh, you know, I'll mention some AFC stuff in a minute. But the NFC game, Arizona in Carolina. When I look at the Cardinals' three losses, they're to the Rams, to the Steelers. Those games were early in the season. And to the Seahawks. So the Cardinals began the year 3-0. They beat the Saints. They beat the Bears. They beat the 49ers. They lost to the Rams. Then they beat the Lions. Then they lost to the Steelers. Uh, then the Cardinals went on a little run. They beat the Ravens. They beat the Browns. They beat the Seahawks in Seattle. Uh, they beat the Bengals, they beat the 49ers, they beat the Rams, they beat the Vikings, they beat the Eagles, they beat the Packers. They went on a run until they lost their third game in the final regular season game at home against Seattle. But, you know, the Cardinals, for most of the season, they looked like a dominant club. And after winning their first three, they lose to St. Louis, which I guess you can now say the L.A. Rams, they lose to the Steelers. The thing about that Steelers game, it was in Pittsburgh, yeah, but Ben Roethlisberger did not play. This was not the this was not a Ben Roethlisberger-led Steelers team. It was a Landry Jones-led Steelers team. And the one thing that's consistent to what I see in those two losses early in the season to St. Louis and to Pittsburgh, what I see in those losses is the opposing quarterback, the quarterback for the Steelers, Landry Jones. The quarterback for the Rams in that game, Nick Foles. 
they didn't really light it up in this game with regards to yards passing. Landry Jones threw 8 of 12 for only 168 yards. He threw two touchdowns. He didn't throw any interceptions, but he didn't. He threw for 168 yards. He only completed eight passes. He was 8 of 12. And then you look at that Rams game, and you look at what Foles did. Now, Foles threw three touchdowns, but he was 16 of 24 for 171 yards. You know, that's not a huge day of passing. So the one thing I do see, the teams that have beaten Arizona this year, the quarterbacks on the other end, they did not necessarily light it up. They didn't light it up. Uh, The one thing that, the other thing that's consistent is Foles and Landry Jones, two quarterbacks who have beaten Arizona, they also didn't turn the ball over. They didn't turn the ball over. So that's going to be a key. Don't turn the ball over against Arizona if you're Carolina, and you don't need your quarterback to really light it up, and you can still win the game. Now, when I look at the Carolina Panthers, though, what I do know is their quarterback can light it up. Cam Newton is the MVP. You take him any day of the week over Landry Jones. You take him any day of the week over Nick Foles. And uh, what I will tell you is going to be a guarantee is Cam Newton's going to throw for more than 168 yards. And Cam Newton's going to throw the ball more than 12 times. Cam Newton is going to throw for more than 170 yards. And he's going to have more than 16 completions. Now, I'm just comparing the numbers of those two quarterbacks, Landry Landry Jones and Nick Foles, and what they did against Arizona to what I think Cam Newton will do against Arizona. I think Cam Newton's going to have a far better game than those two quarterbacks. I mean, that's not a crazy... That's not a crazy guarantee. I guarantee he will. Cam Newton is going to throw for 300 yards. He's going to throw a couple touchdown passes. He could run a couple touchdowns in. I look at the way Cam Newton is going to play in this game, which is going to be much better than two of the quarterbacks who beat Arizona this year. And I look at also the way Arizona has been playing as of late. And, you know, that playoff game against Green Bay was not good. And I know you could say, well, hey, it's one game. You can't take one game and uh, all of a sudden try to describe how that team's going to play the rest of the way in the playoffs. I get that. But there is something to be said for what Carson Palmer and the Arizona Cardinals offense looks like When you have a quarterback, like I just mentioned, Carson Palmer, when you have him under center, who doesn't have a whole lot of playoff experience, and the playoff experience that he does have, he hasn't really played great. Now, give him credit for that overtime, for getting, you know, not getting tackled in the pocket and and, and staying alive and and getting some more time for himself to throw it off to Larry Fitz for that big play and and the shovel pass that he sort of gave Larry Fitz. But that, more than anything, was Larry Fitzgerald taking the team on his back, I thought, more than it was Carson Palmer making the big play in the big moment. I thought that was all Larry Fitz. You know, give Carson Palmer some credit for some things that he did to keep that play alive, but at the same time, that was really Larry Fitz. Um... Carson Palmer still needs to show me in the postseason that he can be that that big game player and he can make the big plays consistently. There were a lot of throws that I thought he'd try to make in that Green Bay game last weekend in the divisional round at home in which I, I questioned, one, 
Is he even healthy? We know Carson Palmer hurt his hand a couple weeks ago. Is he sort of feeling the effects from that? You know, is he is he feeling the effects of that, or is he just feeling the pressure of playoff football? Right? I mean, those are legitimate questions I think you have to ask after watching that Arizona Green Bay last weekend. And I got news for Arizona, and I got news for Carson Palmer. This isn't going to get any easier on Sunday in Carolina. All right? It's not, it's not going to get any easier. So when I try to match these two teams up against each other, and I know I've given Arizona a lot of credit this season. I've given them a lot of credit here even before the playoffs began for being a team that essentially has it all. You know, you go up and down the list of things that you need to be successful in this league. The the quarterback that can make the big plays, the receivers that can make the big plays, the running back, even who stepped in as a backup in David Johnson, replacing Chris Johnson, has done everything they've asked them to do and more, both running the football as a big body back and being able to make plays by catching the football out of the backfield. They have the offensive line. Uh, They have a defensive line and a pass rush that can get to the quarterback. They have a secondary that can make big plays and has big-time playmakers. And, uh, you know, they get the linebacker. They have everything. Arizona has everything. But the one thing that you need in this league more than anything to be successful and, and and, and have me sit here and tell you that you can win a championship is you need your quarterback to make big plays. You do. And, um... I question, with the fact as I just gave you, I question if Carson Palmer is going to be able to make those and if he's going to be able to make those against this Carolina defense in Carolina. There's something to be said for a dominant defense in that dominant defense's building, and you saw how Carolina came out of the gate against Seattle last weekend. And look, we could talk all we want about the second half that Carolina played. They played as uninspired in that second half as you could possibly play in any game, you know, they shut it down at halftime, and they could say all they want about conservative football. There was more to that than conservative football and running up the clock. They were shutting it down. They led 31-0. They shut it down. That game was over not even five minutes in. You get the, the big run from Jonathan Stewart to open the game. You get the interception and the pick six from Luke Keekley. Less than five minutes in, Carolina led Seattle 14 and nothing. It was in Carolina. The game was over. Over. 31 nothing at the half. Second half, they had shut it down. Seattle, a little comeback. I never thought that Seattle was going to come back and actually win the game. And I, I do think Carolina shutting down. We could talk about it all we want and how that you might be concerned with that. I wouldn't be. That's human nature. That happens. You give me any team, any situation, up 31 nothing at the half, having led 14 to nothing less than five minutes in, all that energy, all that excitement, I think it's just human nature to shut it down. Anybody would have shut it down in that point. You don't, you're not trying to shut it down. I think it just happens. Now, do I think Carolina is going to shut it down against Arizona? Well, I mean, if they go up 31 nothing and get it to half, they might. I don't know that they're going to go up 31 nothing again at the half, but if they do, I'll tell you that they're going to win the game. And if they don't, I'll tell you that Carolina will still win the game because I think in a four-quarter game, right, in a 60-minute game, the Panthers will make more big plays offensively than Arizona will be able to, and that'll be the difference. I think it'll be close, but I think the Carolina Panthers, to me, 
are a team that's the most dangerous. Their quarterback is playing the best football out of the two QBs in that NFC Championship. And you saw the defensive plays that they made. And if I'm Arizona, I am... I would be concerned with the two defensive tackles that Carolina has up front that were in Russell Wilson's face all game long on last weekend on Sunday. That, that to me, Carolina, yes, Arizona has uh, all the pieces, but right now it doesn't look like they're getting the big plays from their quarterback or at least the right amount of big plays from their quarterback that they're going to need to beat the Panthers. I mean, they're going to, Carson Palmer is going to have to have the best game of his career, I think, to be able to go into Carolina and win that game. And I just don't think it's going to happen. And when you go back to some of my original points, to some of the quarterbacks that have already beaten Arizona this year, where they had pedestrian days, less than 200 yards passing, falls, 170 yards passing, and the Rams beat the Cardinals. Uh, you know, Landry Jones wasn't even Big Ben. Steelers beat Arizona. Wasn't even, wasn't even Big Ben. Landry Jones, 168 yards passing. Only threw the ball 12 times. Only completed eight passes. They beat the Arizona Cardinals. The opposing quarterback doesn't need to have a monster game to beat Arizona. That's been shown this season. But when you tell me the opposing quarterback will have a monster game, guess what? I'm going to take that team. Based on what I've seen and how I've seen a couple teams beat the Cardinals this season, also how I've seen Carson Palmer and what he's looked like here, at least in one game, in the playoffs and really in his playoff career, to be honest. It, there's, not a, there's not a large sample size there, but it, that could also factor in the lack of playoff experience. And, and say what you want about Cam Newton. He didn't look like a, a, a quarterback last weekend against the ferocious Seahawks defense. Cam Newton did not look like a quarterback that was backing down from the pressures of the postseason. He didn't. And uh, the Panthers are scary right now. And they look so scary that I just can't pick another team to beat them, especially when it is in Carolina. So I'm going to take the Panthers to win that game and go to the Super Bowl and then the AFC Championship of course, it's before the NFC Championship on Sunday. It's a rematch of Week 12. The Broncos won that game in overtime, 30-24. to The snow started to stick in Denver on that Sunday night football game. Uh, you also saw Gronk get hurt for the Patriots and leave that game. The Patriots also did not have Edelman. They did not have Amendola. They were still trying to get used to not having Deion Lewis, who was injured a couple weeks before then. Patriots did not have Jamie Collins. They were in a situation where they needed to target Scott Chandler 11 times. I can tell you what, that's not going to happen on Sunday in Denver for the AFC Championship. The Patriots will not be targeting Scott Chandler 11 times. It's just not going to happen. And when you see what this Patriots team now has returning, and the, the roster that they're going to have, the starting lineup on both the offense and the defensive side of the football that they're going to have in this game that they did not have in Week 12, you that is why the Patriots are a three-and-a-half-point favorite, or at least as a road team, that, that's one of the reasons why. Okay? That's one of the reasons why. They're getting all these guys back. And you saw how good the Patriots are when Edelman's playing. Opens things up for Gronk. The Patriots can move the chains. They can get the first downs on third down over the middle. They can get big plays on second down, create a third and manageable. 
It also helps the offensive line because you spread it out five wide. And if you're a defense, you need to adjust to that. And the, if the more you start sending multiple players and any type of blitz, Tom Brady with Julian Edelman over the middle, he's going to have options. And just Edelman's presence alone has helped everything. It's helped Brady get the ball out quicker. It's helped the protection in front of Brady. It's helped open things up for some other receivers on this team and ultimately has helped the quarterback with a high ankle sprain in Tom Brady. Uh, So uh, the Patriots' offense is clicking. They're going to be a whole lot better than they were in Week 12. We're not expecting any snow, at least we're not as of today, expecting some good weather. Now, I've told you going into this game that the situation is somewhat worrisome because you're a team that's going on the road uh, against the top defense, one of the top defenses in the league. And and you have you can't just overlook a team that has one of the top defenses in the league that's going to be playing in their own building. You can't. You, you can't ignore that. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you that this is going to be a blowout, but I will tell you that another reason the Patriots are a three-and-a-half-point favorite is because on the Denver offense – on, the Den- on Denver's offensive end, they do not have the quarterback that is capable of making the big plays downfield, at least not consistently. And I'm not someone that's sitting here that's knocking Peyton Manning every day for the skill set that he seemingly no longer has because there is part of that skill set that's still available to him, which is, as Mike Tomlin put it, After the Broncos beat the Steelers last weekend, Mike Tomlin called Peyton Manning the ultimate play caller. The ultimate play caller. And I think that's correct. And I think that's why the Broncos are correct in making sure Peyton Manning is their quarterback once again here for the playoffs. Because this is somebody that knows the game. He can read a defense. He can change the play at the line of scrimmage. He is the ultimate play caller. You see him do it. You know, nobody likes to hear a quarterback get credit for the run game. But let's be honest. Peyton Manning... He does things at the line, he calls audibles, he changes the play, and he does help that run game when he can read a defense. But that's where we then get into Bill Belichick. We can get, people can talk about Brady versus Peyton. Brady versus Peyton. How many times have they played each other? What, 16, 17 times? Whatever. This game is not Brady versus Peyton. This game is Belichick versus Peyton. That's it. It's Belichick versus Peyton, and it's will the Patriots turn the ball over. That's that's what it is. Now, I'll get back to the Belichick versus Peyton thing in just a moment. The turning the ball over pot. Here's, here's my ultimate feeling on this game in the AFC Championship Sunday in Denver. The only way the Patriots lose this football game is if they turn the ball over or if they lose the turnover battle. That's it. That's the only way. That's the only way the Patriots lose this game. Because from what I've seen out of Denver's offense, they do not have a lot of big drives in them. They don't have a lot of 70, 80-yard drives in them. They just don't have it. I'm telling you, they don't. Okay? They don't have it. And if the Patriots can have their big defensive weapons on the field and healthy enough to play, like Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins, which we're hearing, and also Chandler Jones, he's been banged up too, Those guys all practiced today, or at least were all available in the Patriots walkthrough inside the bubble at Gillette Stadium. The only Patriots player who was out, Trey Jackson, and obviously obviously now we know the news yesterday and last night, Gerard Mayo is going to be out. Uh, He is done for the year. 
another injury that's he, that he suffered. And I know some people, when they look at the depth chart and the depth of this linebacker core for the Patriots, they might be a little concerned. But I will tell you right now, you do not need to be overly concerned with that. If Hightower and Collins or one of those two guys can't play, then we're talking concern if someone like Mayo isn't available, which he isn't, right? But when I look at the depth chart and the linebackers that this Patriots team needs more than anybody, it's Hightower Collins. They're this team's one-two punch and the defensive end. And when it comes to a game plan to get to Peyton Manning, uh, the phrase that I've used every single year is, and you should get this rolling on Twitter, hashtag disguision. Disguising. Bill Belichick will disguise the blitz and he will create confusion up front. That's the way you beat Peyton because he is the ultimate play caller and giving him that credit more than anything. That's in his skill set. Still, to this day, that's in his skill set. The, being the ultimate play caller, it's going to take some ultimate defensive play calling by the opposing coach to disguise the blitz and create confusion, disguising. You want to take two linebackers, Hightower Collins? You want to get them sort of showing the blitz? Peyton reads it, tries to do something, change the play. All of a sudden, they both drop back, and maybe you get a corner to rush in or a safety to rush in. Somebody. Some type of other blitz. Or you want to have Hightower Collins showing the blitz? One comes in, one drops back. Another time, you want to show Hightower Collins, neither of them is showing the blitz. They both come in, or neither of them is showing the blitz, and one comes in. Believe me, there are, there's things that Belichick's going to do, but I do believe, based on what I've seen and how you beat Peyton Manning, you got to disguise that up front somehow. Belichick's been great at doing that whenever he's played Peyton. It makes him, it, it gives Peyton the happy feet. It makes him throw the stupid pick, and you win the turnover battle that way. That's what you do. All right, that's what you do. And to me, two of the top dogs in that linebacker core that need to help make that happen, Hightower and Jamie Collins, because I've always said this about this Patriots defense when Jamie Collins and Hightower are on the field. Whenever they got somebody shooting up that A-gap, that is when this defense is at its best. Not every single play, but, but they can. those guys are machines. They can get through. They can get to the QB. They can create that pressure up front that is that will set something up later in the game for, let's say, Hightower Collins showing the blitz. Chung looks like he's in coverage. Next thing you know, Hightower's dropping back in coverage. Chung's coming in. And you get that big sack, you get that big turnover. I'm telling you right now, Belichick will have a game plan to confuse the heck out of Peyton Manning. But I think you need Hightower and Collins out there on the field to execute more than you need Gerard Mayo. All right? More than you need Gerard Mayo. You do. So when you look at the Patriots' defense and the bodies that are out there on the field and the game plan that you need, to me, Keep an eye on Hightower at Collins. But they both are at the Patriots walkthrough today. They both practiced. And uh, that's, a, that's a big thing. That's a good thing. And Chandler Jones did as well. So the Patriots, they need to be healthy defensively. They need to have those guys on the field. And if they do, I believe that they will help the Patriots win this game. And, uh, you know, again, the turnover battle. Yeah, Patriots got to win that. But they also need to win that ultimate play calling war between the coach and the Denver QB because the Broncos I'm telling you right now they do not have the ability to go on these 70 80 
80-yard drives, they don't. They can't do it. So if you do not turn the ball over and you don't give Denver good field position, they're going to have a tough time scoring touchdowns. They might get some field goals, getting in a field goal range. Yeah, I think they got some 50, 60-yard drives in them, but that's it. If you don't give Denver the proper field position to put it in the end zone, then you'll win this game. Don't turn the ball over. If it, The only way the Patriots lose this one is if they turn it over. That's the only way. And, uh, you know, people might want to go back to two years ago, Patriots, Broncos in Denver. I remember that game. I was on WEEI immediately afterwards. I was on EEI after that game, after the, they did the post-game show, and they did the post-game show during the NFC Championship, and I jumped on after two years ago. And I was on like 10 to midnight. And the calls coming in, the Patriots lost that game, and I, I thought it was clear. I thought that game was clear. Tom Brady played terrible. Tom Brady had a bad game. He was missing his targets. He was... You know, he just did that wasn't the Tom Brady we were used to seeing. He didn't make the big plays, the big completions. Um, something like that could happen, too. You know, you can get an off night, but I really do believe. But it all comes back to turnovers, right? If Tom Brady's missing his targets, the chances are he's going to turn the ball over. If there's pressure on Tom Brady, start seeing ghosts, offensive lines playing terrible, then, you know, if somebody blows a one-on-one, one-on-one block, one-on-one assignment, and they try to get a coverage sack or at least – uh, uh, you know, come close to getting one and Brady ends up turning it over, that's going to be the difference in the game. Even if it doesn't result in a pick six. If it results in proper field position. Because again, I don't think the Patriots are going to walk into Denver and put up 35 points. I don't think they're going to do that. It'd be nice if they could, but let's give some credit to Denver's defense being one of the top defenses in football and it's in their own building in the playoffs. It's a, that's That tells me a lot. All right, and it, that's why it's a worrisome, I've called this a worrisome situation going to Denver because it, it could be that one turnover, that one turnover that gives the Broncos field position at the, at the Patriots' 40-yard line that helps them either kick that extra field goal or uh, maybe go on a 35, 40-yard drive and get a touchdown and break a big run. It could be that one difference in field position that loses you a game against the top defense in that top defense's building. That's it. But if the Patriots don't turn it over, they protect the football, they win. And I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think they'll turn it over. I think they'll make some big plays, and I think they'll score enough points to come out on top. I do think it's going to be close, uh, but I do think the Patriots are going to win, and they are going to go to Super Bowl 50 to take on the Carolina Panthers. And you know what's not helping the Broncos' cause right now? You know what's not helping their cause? is they're talking shit. <laughs> the, the Broncos are talking shit right now. They're calling Tom Brady a crybaby. Uh, they're saying that they're, you know, they're going on SportsCenter saying they're going to go low on Gronk and hit Gronk low. Gronk is chirping back on Twitter, I think in a jovial manner, but at the same time, um, not exactly the Patriot way. Look, and as reporters talk to the Patriots before they travel to Denver on Friday, and even when they get to Denver, and I'm sure they'll be grilled with questions, they're not going to come out when the mics are in their face and, and respond to that. And I guarantee you that Bill Belichick, you say what you want, he's going to use this stuff behind the scenes to his team. He is. He's going to use it to motivate. Why wouldn't you? You might as well. 
And because the what I know from the Patriots is that they use bullets and board material better than anybody has ever used bullets and board material in the history of sports. And uh, I, I just I, I see the Broncos talking shit, calling Brady a crybaby, saying they're going to go low on Gronk. What are they trying to scare him? Um, I see this stuff and I think to myself, have they not learned? Because if I'm Peyton Manning, I got to get my team together and say, guys. No, 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 no. Don't do this shit. Don't do this. Don't go on national TV and start talking shit about the Patriots. Let's prove what we got to prove on the field on Sunday, and that's that. That's a team that does not need any more motivation than they already have. And guess what? They have motivation. And it goes back to what happened last year, Deflategate. The Patriots have been on a mission. This is, there's a reason why I call this the revenge tour. That's what this is. The the Patriots, uh, they want to be on that podium in San Francisco, Super Bowl 50, receiving the Lombardi Trophy from Roger Goodell, essentially saying, fuck you, Roger. That's what they want to do. People have tarnished, tried to tarnish. I say, I, I stress try, have tried to tarnish their legacy, have tried to put asterisks next to Bill Belichick and Tom Brady's name, and it's pissed them off. And I know they didn't go for the undefeated season. I know they lost four of their last six. But they were injured. They were banged up. And you saw what those injuries did to the offense. It affected them. And also, you go back to that Denver game, week 12. Wasn't just injuries. Wasn't just uh, special teams turnovers. It was the, the officials. I told you. The, that the, the holding call that they made on Chung, or whatever it was, illegal hands in the end zone, on a play in which the Patriots got to Osweiler and sacked him, and it would have been a third and 18 or third and long, and it changed the game. Osweiler was already basically taken down and eliminated from making any play before Chung even made contact with the receiver in the end zone. And they called Chung for the penalty. It was, it's, to this day, it's the worst call I have ever seen in the National Football League. Honestly, it is. And I, I, I just especially when it comes to how it factored into the result of the game. I mean, it was awful. It was almost like they gave the Broncos the football game with that one penalty, and there were a couple bad calls. The officiating was terrible. I guess you got to expect some flags in this game because, isn't it, it's going to be Ed Hockley, right? Ed Hockley, I believe, Hockley's crew, uh, not even his crew. He's going to be the guy. I don't think they use the crews. I think they take different officials from different crews, don't they, in the playoffs? Whatever it may be. I don't, want, I don't want to sit here and make this about officiating too much. But what is true is that week 12, the officials helped cost the Patriots that game against Denver in overtime. They did. They called that penalty on Chung, which should have never been called. And uh, it, it changed the game. And it gave the Broncos extra life. Uh, extra said it gave him. I'm telling you right now, that was a huge play in that game, and it cost the Patriots the game. It was, but so all of that said, the Patriots have been playing, and they always do. The world is against them. The one thing they can't do is say that they're the underdogs because they're not. They're the favorite. But believe me, behind the scenes, they are going to find a way. Whether it's the Flategate, whether it's the Broncos talking shit. 
uh, whether they take a, a, a bit of some type of comment from someone that knocks the Patriots, they're going to take it, they're going to use it, and they're going to convince themselves that even though in Vegas they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road against the one seed, against the top defense in football, the Patriots behind the scenes are going to convince themselves that nobody wants them to win this game, nobody thinks they can win this game, and they actually are the underdogs. And it is the world against the New England Patriots. And outside of the spread, let's face it, it really is the world against the New England Patriots. It really is. Like, I watched Pot in the Interruption yesterday on ESPN, and Will Bond is there going, I, I'm rooting for Peyton. I'm rooting for Peyton to get to the Super Bowl and one last hurrah, one last... Great. They could take that clip and they could factor it in and throw it up on the video board behind the scenes at Gillette Stadium this week. I don't rule out anything. But the Broncos, the one thing they should be controlling is they shouldn't be out there providing any type of bulletin board material, and that's exactly what they've done since yesterday, since Tuesday. They've come out, called Brady a crybaby. They said they're going to go low on Gronk. They're giving the Patriots fuel to add to their fire that they already have dating back to last year, 12 months ago, with the Flakegate. All right? And uh, the Broncos need to just stop running their mouth if they want to have any shot, or at least if they want to stop giving the Patriots bulletin board material because they're certainly giving it to them right now. So um, that's... That's what we have this weekend, conference championship weekend. I'll give my picks with the spread. Might have teased them a little bit, but still didn't exactly give them. I'll give those on Friday. And uh, one one last football story I got to get to before I move on to some NBA and NHL thoughts before I close it out today is uh, Patriots linebacker. What did you do? First of all, let me ask you this question. What did you do last week? What did you do last week to help someone? Huh? You have an answer to that? Not just help someone. What did you do last week to help someone and then go do your job and and do it pretty well? Uh, Darius Fleming, Patriots linebacker. It came out today that he played Saturday's divisional round playoff game with 22 stitches in his leg. The reason? Because two days before Saturday's playoff game against Kansas City, Patriots linebacker Darius Fleming on Thursday, he cut his leg kicking out a car window. He kicked out a car window. Why? Because a woman was stuck inside and the car was burning. He kicked out a car window to pull a woman out of a burning car, 22 stitches in his leg, played with it in the playoff game two days later, and the Patriots win and go to the AFC Championship. What'd you do last week to help someone and then go do your job? Did you do that? I don't think so. Uh, Darius Fleming, I applaud you. We all applaud you for what you did to help the woman out of a burning car two days before the uh, divisional round playoff game. And there were some Patriots quotes I read today before I jumped in this podcast that said, I think Darius admitted there might have been an easier way to go about that and getting into the car. But hey, I I don't blame him. When when you see someone in a burning car and you think, what can I do? You know, I'm a big dude. I could kick this window open and, and pull her out and it'll be fine so nothing happens to her. Maybe a little panic goes through and you react. And he reacted by kicking the car window up. He pulled the woman out of a burning car, saved their life. So uh, we applaud you, Darius Fleming. Nice job. And I know, yeah, nice job on Saturday in the Patriots win 
as well. So uh, there's your off-the-field story of the day in the NFL. Moving on from football, uh, take a look at what do we got? NBA last night, only four games in the NBA last night. The Bucks beat the Heat. Surprised by that? Dwayne Wade, what do you have, two points in like 20 minutes? Not good. Uh, but the Bucks, they get their 19th win. They beat Miami in Miami. I told you, you Pelicans, Timberwolves, two teams, you know, a game that neither team probably wants to win based on trying to get uh, the top pick in the draft. Pelicans win it in New Orleans. The home team wins 114-99 over Minnesota. The Oklahoma City Thunder, they go into Denver and win that game. No surprise there. Thunder with 31 wins. Uh, Kevin Durant, 30 points, 12 rebounds. And then you get the Pacers beating the Suns last night in Phoenix. Again, not a surprise there. It's the Suns, they lose one of their best players uh, a couple weeks ago in Bledsoe, and they only have 13 wins, so they're in the running as well for one of the top picks. Indiana wins that game. Paul George with 19 points. So only four NBA games last night. Nothing too crazy. On the schedule tonight, uh, we have 11 NBA games. You got Philly in Orlando. We will be rooting for Philly here in Boston to get some more wins. The 76ers only have five wins this season. That game in Orlando. Uh, The Heat, they try to bounce back. They're in D.C. to take on the Wizards at the Verizon Center. The Cavaliers, they try to bounce back from being embarrassed the other night by Golden State. The Warriors whooped the Cavaliers the other night. Cleveland is in Brooklyn to take on the Nets. We don't root for Cleveland ever unless they're taking on Brooklyn when the Celtics have the Brooklyn Nets first round pick. So I'll be rooting for the Cavaliers in this one at the Barclays Center. Uh, Then you got Utah in New York against the Knicks. Knicks coming off a thriller of a win against Philly on Martin Luther King Day. And then you got the Celtics here locally. They are in Toronto to take on the Raptors tonight at 7.30 at Air Canada Center. And the Warriors take on the Bulls this game on ESPN at 8 o'clock. It's in Chicago. The Pistons in Houston. Detroit takes on the Rockets. Two teams with 22 wins each. That's at the Toyota Center. You got the Charlotte Hornets. They will be in Oklahoma City to take on the Thunder at 8 o'clock. The Timberwolves in Dallas to take on the Mavericks. Dirk Nowitzki looks like he may not play, has a sore knee. They say some swelling. Uh, And then at 10.30, the late games, the Kings in L.A. to take on the Lakers. We'll be rooting for the Lakers. Lakers have nine wins. You want them to somehow finish with more wins than Brooklyn. So I'll be rooting for L.A. to beat the Kings. And uh, the Hawks at 10.30, they are in Portland to take on the Trail Blazers. So that is your night in the NBA I'll have my eye especially on the Celtics game, and I'll react to that tomorrow. The Celtics looking to bounce back from an overtime loss in Dallas the other night in the NHL. Last night, you had eight games in the National Hockey League. The Devils beat the Flames 4-2 in New Jersey. The Rangers, they beat the Canucks in New York 3-2 in overtime. Uh, The Flyers lost to the Maple Leafs in Philly. Toronto wins that one 3-2. Washington Capitals... They beat the Blue Jackets 6-3. The Lightning win their sixth straight game. They they were at home last night. They win their sixth straight game. They beat Edmonton 6-4. 
You have the LA Kings in LA beating the Dallas Stars 3-2. The Blackhawks win their 12th straight game last night. Patrick Kane scores his 30th goal. The Blackhawks win again. They beat the Predators in Nashville 4-1. And of course, the Bruins they went into Montreal last night. They beat the Canadiens 4-1 at Bell Center. Center Bell, however you want to say it. David Pasternak, uh, he returns. He gets a goal, his fourth goal of the season. Patrice Bergeron with his 18th. Brad Marchand with his 17th. Tuka Rass played awesome in this one. 38 saves for Tuka in the 4-1 Bruins win in Montreal. But the story last night in that game was, and I got to applaud the Canadiens for their pregame ceremony honoring Denna Lang before the game. They had a video, video, they had an unbelievable ceremony. Have to applaud the Canadiens for that. Uh, Denna Lang, the women's hockey player who was paralyzed at the National Women's Hockey League game uh, for their Winter Classic both teams' jerseys, the Bruins and Canadiens, were autographed and are currently being auctioned off to raise money for Denna Lang. You can make a bid at auctions.nhl.com slash Lang. Again, that's auctions.nhl.com slash Lang. When I look at auctions right now, you got Patrice Bergeron, uh, the highest bidding going to his jersey, 5000 and 80 as of now, though I had this website. Let me pull it up. I, I I loaded the website before I actually started this show. Let me try to reload it here real quick just to see if we have got any type of change with it. Um, no, and the bidding is going to end on February 11th, so make sure you go bid right now, auctions.nhl.com slash Denna Lang. And again, applaud the Montreal Canadiens organization for a great pregame ceremony last night uh, before the Bruins beat the Canadiens at Saint-Terre-Belle. So, um, yeah, that's what we had last night. And uh, tonight in the National Hockey League, what do we have? We only have three games tonight, right? Three games, St. Louis in Detroit, Buffalo in Colorado, Minnesota in Anaheim, two of those games on NBC Sports Network. So anything crazy happens in those, uh, I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. I'm here five days a week. You can subscribe at dannypicard.com on iTunes. And if you don't have an iPhone or iPad, get the show on the Stitcher app. And once again, make sure you go to beantownathletics.com, the only union screen printer in Boston. Doesn't mean you need to be a union to get something done here. Uh, any type of creative design you want to put on a t-shirt, sweatshirt, hat, koozie, make some stickers up, you name it, and come into the shop to get your skate shopping, the best skate shopping in New England right here at Beantown Athletics. I am out. I have Bill Spiros, the obnoxious Boston fan. Bill Spiros will join me over the phone on tomorrow's podcast, trying to get another football guest on Friday, uh, Mike Giotti from Comcast Sportsnet New England. He's already in Denver, so I'm trying to get him for Friday's show over the phone. And, of course, Friday I'll give my picks for the week and the weekend conference championship weekend. Two games with the spread. I'll make those picks on Friday. But, again, Bill Spiros joins me tomorrow. Talk to you then. <laughs>